here with us. Okay, come on. How many love Mandua Riyadh? It's Sarah and Miriam's uh, father. He's also on our board, as well as Kathy and um, uh, Gary here. And Kathy and Gary serve as elders in this church. So I would like for you guys to open your hearts uh, and your heads to uh, the word of God here today as we go further into this series in the book of Daniel. Amen? Can we pray? Let's pray. Father, we just ask, Lord, that your grace would abide here in this place, and particularly upon my brother. Um, God, I just ask for uh, clarity, Lord, a strength in the Lord. Lord, I even ask for a, uh, a prophetic touch, Lord, upon his life and his teaching. Lord, help us to hear. Uh, Lord, help us to um, hold tightly the words that are preached today to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes, Lord, this time be yours, this time be yours. Um, so we're going to cover, uh, we had broken up the uh, the series by chapters, and I clearly uh, drew a pretty, um, a pretty intense section of the book of Daniel. Um, it's uh, chapter 7, 8, and 9, which are three uh, serious, significant visions uh, that Daniel receives, and um, you could spend a month on each of these, uh, and I'm not exaggerating on that, and people have. So we are going to take a bit of a, uh, you know, th- there's preaching and teaching on Sundays. Uh, this is going to feel a lot like teaching, and um, um, so I'm just giving you a warning now. We're going to cover a lot of ground. Um, I, I've been trying to kind of kick the PowerPoint habit, but uh, this was not the day to do that. Um, I have a lot of uh, transitions in this, so if I keep going like that to George, it's not because I'm like, you know, rapping or something like that. It's just uh, um, trying to, trying to uh, keep up with, uh, with what we're doing. So um, this, is, this, is a, uh, this is a heavy topic, and so I'm, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of uh, advance notice in, in front of that. And, and, and it was important to Kathy and I when we talked about this to actually present the book, you know, not to... Uh, not to, you know, we can pick and choose things out of it. And the first six chapters are great of Daniel to kind of pick out character attributes. These last six are um, really, really significant. And and so if, I, if if at the end of this, all I do is leave you with a desire to kind of you know, delve into the book yourself and to uh, to really wrestle with it and look through it, then I will have, have accomplished something. I think the Lord's will will be done. But um, we have a lot to cover. So... Um, let's start. So why does it matter? Um, this is the, the most comprehensive end times view in the Old Testament. It, 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 it is how the Jews look at eschatolog- eschatology, um, if the end, end, times, uh, end times view of the world. Um, if you want to understand how the Jews look at the world, which is important, and, and, and you want to understand how the Old and the New Testament uh, link together, understanding God's view of the future, you have to understand Daniel. The great news is, as I'll show you, is that the integration of Daniel with the New Testament and, and sort of all of the things in the Bible that come together is actually remarkable. It is amazing. This book is a wonder. The whole Bible is a wonder. This book is amazing. It is, it's, like, it's like revelation on steroids. It's incredible. Um, and as always, Daniel, in the midst of all this, as we saw in the first six weeks, is a really um, outstanding person. Uh, to see how somebody grapples with um, this view of the future and how his character and his life and how he approached things just in general 
it's, it's just the perfect combination of God giving this revelation and having it come through this really outstanding guy. But I, I'm going to talk about it a little later. He may be outstanding in ways um, that we probably haven't really considered carefully enough. Sorry, George, do I need to kind of go? <laughs> okay, so um, you can just kind of go through them. The first six chapters um, set the stage for the next six. The first six, as we've talked about, um, I listened to uh, Matt and Will. Um, again, good stuff. You guys really set it up well. Um, you know, we understand Daniel's credentials, his character. We see God moving. Um, we see Daniel as a willing instrument that God uses. Um, and then in, in, in seven through nine, um, we see these visions of the future. And they're kind of an escalating detail and relevance. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit. In the middle of this, we see Daniel um, pray for Israel to, to have the, uh, the, the, uh, the prophecy fulfilled and the, the temple restored. And there are some symbols in this. I would say, um, compared to the book of Revelation, um, the symbols here are pretty straightforward. And the one interesting thing, which I'll note, and we're going to kind of go through some markers as, we, as just things to note as you look through these, uh, these visions in the book, um, frequently we get an explanation. It's kind of interesting. Uh, same thing in the book of Revelation. It's almost like this little sidebar, you know, stop, you know, hey, this is what's happening, this is this, this is that. So it's interesting um, how that works. And so what we're going to do is, again, there's just so much to cover here. Um, we're going to look at chapter 7 in some fair detail. I'll be reading the Bible to you. Um, we're going to do a little bit of a drive-by on 8 and focus, and I'll explain, just give you an idea of what's going on there, but I'm going to focus on one key item. And then chapter 9, which is... I don't know, I think it's like the, the mother of all Old Testament prophecies. It's, it's so intense. There's so much in that. I'm going to challenge you a little bit. I'm going to show you kind of how I'm going to look at four verses. Four verses, which I believe kind of cover the history of the world. And I'm just going to challenge you a little bit about maybe you want to take a look at that yourself. And I'll show you kind of how I've gone through it quickly. And maybe it piqued your curiosity and you can go take a look at it yourself. So chapter 7 is a pivot point. Okay, We've gone through six chapters Daniel's life, lion's den, all that kind of good stuff. And now um, God speaks to Daniel directly. Uh, this, he's, not, he's not passing on information uh, to the royalty of, um, of Babylon. Actually, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who I think if you look through the book, you realize that Daniel liked that guy, um, was definitely invested in his life. And um, I think it seems to me that they had a really good relationship, clearly a good working relationship, but he's been dead for for nine years, and his, um, there was a regency, and then his crummy kid is in charge, and his kid is, is a disaster, uh, Belshazzar. And um, he gets his, as you, you, you know the story. Um, but this now, this is, this is a message to, to Daniel for the nation of Israel. And the prophetic message is kind of terrifying in a lot of ways. It's pretty heavy stuff. But throughout it, you see that even though there's like God is showing... Um, these, these bad things happening, the nation of Israel or the Jews is evident in all of them. And that would have been really important. The, um, because if you think about it, Daniel's been there 60, 67 years old. The, the prophecy was 70 years in Babylon. Um, you've got this situation where a whole people group is, uh, has been uprooted and settled in a foreign land with a very intense culture, which um, 
you know, in some ways, if you, as you, if you saw in the earlier um, studies, that if you didn't lean into that culture, you could pay with your life. And so this idea that the nation of Israel would, would, would come out of this, this aggressive assimilation and live on, actually there's very few, I'm not sure there's any historical um, instances where a nation has kind of been uprooted like this and actually been able to come back. It's pretty amazing, and that's going to be a recurring theme, which we're going to talk about. But it was by no means a foregone conclusion. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar was a harsh man, but he was a fair man. He cared for for Daniel. He took care of him. He, Daniel, you know, the, the Jews had favor in there. Now the crummy kid's in charge. No character. Bad guy. The Jews would feel threatened, okay? They would feel threatened. So there was something very comforting, frightening, and comforting, which is kind of a, when it comes to end times, that is sort of a biblical thing. Um, get used to that. Um, but just take note that, that Israel is, is um, I call it God's super sign. In Jerusalem, the city of the king is the, is the center and fulcrum for, for all of his plans. Okay, so it's, um, when you're looking at end times, anything in the Bible, you have to understand that, that Israel and Jerusalem are at the center of it. And so I'm going to go down one, one bunny trail. I really felt important to, uh, to kind of cover this. Because there's this thing in the church called replacement theology, which is this idea that... Um, the church, because the Jews have forfeited their right as God's chosen people, that the church has re- replaced them. That, that they've, they've, that um, the old, you know, you've got new wineskins, the old covenant is gone, there's the new covenant, and that the church, not just the church, and a lot of people realize a certain sect of the Protestant church is going to be the, uh, the inheritance of God's privilege and pleasure as his chosen people. Um, the only problem with that is that you have to kind of get over a couple of verses of Scripture to actually really embrace that. Because there's all kinds of promises that God made pretty clearly to the Jews, like this one, and that 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 one. Oh, oh. Okay, so, so you, you get my point, right? Um, you, this, is, this is kind of nuts, and it's a slippery slope. And you say, well, well, well surely. I mean, this is, sounds like an, a, kind of one of these geeky interpretive things, it can't be that cut and dry. Well, it actually, it actually is. So I'm just going to read this to you. Uh, and this is a prophetic word from Jeremiah, talking actually about end times as well. And I'll just start here. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Pretty clear. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, that's pretty comprehensive, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that the waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. He's stating his credentials. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, another another way of saying never, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. Okay, so it's really hard. So, it's, it's, uh, hey, you know, listen, okay? They killed the guy's son. They murdered the Messiah. They, mur- they clearly have forfeited this right. You know, they're, they're, they're troublesome people. There's a real anti-Semitic spirit arising in the nations. You really need to pay attention to this. this you know, is this really, you know, clearly... They could have done. They, they've done so many bad things, and, and, it, and it, they they they've rejected 
Jesus so comprehensively that they surely they must have forfeited. Well, let's see what he says about that. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all they have done, declares the Lord. Okay? This is toxic. This is where you find somebody standing up and saying something like, Jesus was a Palestinian. And people in the church are like, eh, you know, that kind of makes some sense. No, that's ludicrous. Okay? Or that the, the, the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims all worship and say God. It's not true. It's not true. You need to know the Bible. Okay? You need to understand this. This is a toxic, poisonous thing. The church needs to, to aggressively push it out when these sorts of things start to come into its midst. There's a slippery slope when you start to find the whole book as I said on those other, all those other verses, you have to completely pervert scripture to maintain this line of thinking. So, sorry, my bunny trail. Okay, so let's get back to chapter 7. Um, God shows Daniel that the, you know, the world is going to be in turmoil and that there's these um, terrible kingdoms that are going to merge up from the sea. And the sea, um, I just like this quote, is is symbolic of polluted, turbulent humanity as they try to exploit and govern their own wisdom and strength. If anybody's here as a history um, buff looking at the history of the world, I I actually am. I study a lot of global history. Um, You know, there's lots of, you know, mankind and the history of man. There's been all kinds of great things we've done, great innovations. But we have this really kind of persistent... um, bias towards killing each other and treating each other terribly. I mean, it's just, if you look around you, it's just sort of everywhere. And um, as you go back over time, um, I actually, um, I, I spent a lot of time in, in the car by myself, which is probably good because I like to listen to things like this, you know, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. And um, I like this stuff. But you start going through over time and you start to see this, that, that this is really true. That um, if people are really betting on the Enlightenment error where man get progressively better and better until we don't need God and everything is just hunky-dory fine. The, the evidence against that is, I'd say, beyond overwhelming. Okay, just, just kind of turn on the news. So this is where I'm going to read to you a little bit. Okay, This is the only one we're going to do this for, but I think it's important just to sort of go through it. And I'm going to go fast. Right? So again, it's going to be probably hard to sort of, this, this is something that you could take a month to settle in on. And you know, those are all really good things. Who's got the Bible app on their phone? thing's amazing. You should all have that. I mean, if you don't read the Bible regularly, get that thing. It's amazing. It really helps. And, you know, get, get the hunger for it. You know, if you really want to blow your mind, get reading the Bible a little bit, then buy a good commentary on the book of Genesis. And just read that. That'll take you like six months. And after that, if you really want to blow your mind, get a good commentary. I think pink is a good one. And, and, and go after like the book of Isaiah. And you will be amazed. You will not believe how much is in there. So you can't never go wrong by studying the word. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. I was told, Get up and eat your flesh. It was told, get up and eat your flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. 
the beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. All right. Lions, leopards, bears. I mean, whoa, what is going on here? Actually, um, if you start to um, wrestle with this and you really start to look through, get some commentary, start to understand the symbolism, it's actually not that hard. I mean, I think there's all kinds of intricacies in this, but um, let's just go through this. Babylon, um, the traditional symbol of Babylon was a lion. Okay, the lion with its wings ripped off as a man. Um, that, you know, most people believe that is the symbol of Babylon, uh, which had been a great kingdom. That Nebuchadnezzar, who lost his mind, had a mental breakdown, and then was restored. That all, I mean, all, it all makes sense. Persia, the bear, you know, one side, it was the Persian and the Medes. If you know, if you, you know, why not, uh, the Persians were a little stronger than the Medes. Um, it was a nation that was shared, that would ruthlessly conquer vast territories and destroy three great ones, the, the three ribs in its mouth, Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt. This is all true. I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. This is all stuff. Um, then the leopard, um, you know, leopard, great speed. Alexander the Great, uh, he came on the scene and, and, and he took over the world at such an alarming rate. People have never seen anything like that. So, again, this is, Daniel's having this, a lot of people think Daniel couldn't have been written when it was because it's so accurate. There's a lot of people that really don't believe, say there's no way he could have known this stuff because some of it was happening within the next 100 200 years, so like, oh, this must be some kind of inside job. They backdated everything. But the accuracy, historical accuracy of the prophecies that he got about the things that were going to happen in the next couple hundred years is pretty remarkable. All right, so then there's a lot of focus on this last one, and this is where sort of the end times things come in. Um, After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast. It it doesn't really describe what it is. It just says it's terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. The horn had eyes, like the eyes of a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. All right. This is, uh, this is meant to uh, widely believe to reference Rome and actually beyond. And there's something different, okay? It's uh, beyond description. It's, it's, a fierce, um, it's a fierce kingdom, Rome was, in that it would morph. It would, it, would, um, it would go on and on and on, and the implication here is right till the end of time. And if you read all the other um, visions of the book, this all starts to make sense. And that horns, uh, 10 of them, is 10 typically the number of completeness, that this power would be global. But Daniel, if you read this, is very focused on this little one, this person um, that's boastful and blasphemous. And um, um, you'll see throughout this, this, this marker, this little horn, um, is clearly a reference if you connect it to the, the book of Revelation in the end times to, um, to, to what we would call the Antichrist. A, a global ruler at some point in the future who is very, very effective um, and blasphemous, but um, is able to kind of rule most um, most of the world. All right. So, again, hope you're all tracking with me. This is the only one we're going to do this like this. So y- you see what is, I think, a pretty, um, a pretty uh, frightening, um, upsetting <laughs> uh, um, view of history. Okay, remember, put yourself in Daniel's shoes. You're sitting there and you're like, oh no. I mean, this, this is terrible. And all of a sudden, bang, the scene changes. Okay, scene changes. 
And as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair on his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. It's a big scene. The court was seated, and the books were opened. It's judgment. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. Okay, so here's the first marker in all of these prophecies, in all these end-time visions um, throughout the Bible. God is sovereign, okay? That's the one thing you need to take away from all this, that God is in control. God is in control always. And so it's interesting in this particular vision, you see that this depiction of really kind of harsh things happens and then boom. You know, God's not, he's in his throne, he's in his room. He's being attended. He is in control. He's not worried. Um, this is all part of, of, of God's plan. Um, and then you see that he puts things in order um, decisively and actually pretty violently. So God, God is in control. This is, you know, this is a part of the attributes and nature of God that we, we need to come to grips with. Okay. Um, Daniel clearly did. And we'll talk about that a little bit, bit later. Okay, continuing on. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. That's a very important phrase, actually. It really refers to um, divinity. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Okay, remember now, this is Daniel talking. I think we know who that guy is. Okay, key marker two. If you go through this, and actually some of the other Old Testament prophecies, this guy keeps coming on the scene. Um, he just keeps appearing. He's in there. I mean, Jesus is in the Old Testament. If you look for him, he's not that hard to find. Um, he's often called the Son of Man and Messiah. We call him Christ the Lord. Just when you're looking through the old, if you're going to study these sort of um, Old Testament uh, prophecies, again, this is a marker you should look for. He's there. He's there. It all hangs together. This is not, you know, God wants us, to, God challenges us to embrace and understand the word. You know, if it wasn't worthwhile, you know, if it was, it's, it's not meant to be, you know, this isn't Dr. Zeus time. Okay, there, there, you, you, you know, there's part of this which is wrestling with God, but he doesn't make it so that you have to have a PhD from Harvard, sorry for any of you who are here, um, to understand that. Okay? It's meant to be an appropriate challenge for the simple and the wise. Okay? And then this is um, further on. This is, uh, this is one of the angels. He, he gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy place, people, and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. All right. This is pretty specific. Okay. Key marker number three is in a lot of these cases, God tells him, precisely what the vision means. In Daniel's case, he really was special. God took the time to explain all this to him. Um, these dates and references and all, as I mentioned before, 
they all really match up with the New Testament. I'm going to show you a visual of that later on, that this stuff all does hang together. This isn't some kind of random, you know, late-night pizza-induced dream he had. I mean, this is all very, very specific stuff. It's important. It's important. These things aren't there by mistake. It's not some, you know, and we talked about Revelation. I mean, we, we, we actually taught Revelation at our home in the neighborhood. That was pretty interesting. Um, but it was... Uh, you know, this isn't like the science fiction part of the Bible, okay? You know, this isn't for all the Doctor Who fans out there and Lord of the Rings people. I mean, it's, it's important. We all need to, uh, to uh, talk about this. I mean, this, this, this idea of a three and a half time, time and half a time in the seven-year reign, if you look through all the other visions, it, it's all very consistent. But, you know, a key marker in a lot of these is that um, whether it's an angel, the Lord, um, within the scripture... When it is confusing, or, or there are symbols that need to be understood, it's right there. It's right there in the text. It's not like you have to go and you know, go to Egypt and dig up and dig in the sand to find some kind of tablet to understand this. It's right there in the book. Okay, so that was chapter seven. So if you're all still with me, <laughs> okay. And now that that was like, again, you could spend a week on that. Um, but that one we took apart pretty pretty good. I'm going to go through this one uh, just, just because I want you all to know it. Um, chapter 8 is actually a, a vision um, Daniel has about a goat and a ram crashing into each other. Um, and it's very clear what it means. Um, the, the, the ram is the Persian Empire. The Greek is the goat. Um, interestingly, Daniel was... It was very cl- very clear to Daniel that the Babylonian Empire, this major empire, was coming to an end. So clear that the vision that Daniel has when he's living in Babylon, that he in the vision he is taken to Susa, which is the fortress of Persia. He goes to Persia for the vision. I don't, people, I'm not sure if you you know if you're following me that it was already Daniel just had so much information. God was just like really giving him the the the, the future plan. So, um, again, you have, again, these, these visions all overlap and are consistent with, the, with each other. But this, the horn of the goat is splitting into four, and there's one um, reaching up to the heavens, and the horn takes on God and overshadows the beautiful land. Where, where could the beautiful land be? That's a phrase you have all the time. Where do you think the beautiful land is? It's Israel, yes. I mean, the beautiful land. I mean, again, Israel, especially Jerusalem, that is the center kind of literally the center of the world in some ways, even geographically, that is the center of the universe for God. Okay. That, is, that is the city of the king. That, you know, there's, there is no escaping that. Okay. So um, this idea, so this, this lens, right, that says, what, what, is the, what is this horn This horn that takes on God? Again, another, another symbol of the Antichrist. The fact that it goes after the beautiful land. I mean, it's all... If you, Take note, okay? Why? Why is the Jerusalem in the news? Has it always been in the news? What about that people, that place? What is the big deal? It's a big deal, okay? It's a big deal. Okay, there's also an end times connection in there, and I'm going to breeze through this, where it makes reference to the temple sacrifice being perverted, a human worship as God, intense demonic activity, despair and destruction for three and a half years, and then things are put right. Again, that vision, completely consistent with the other ones. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, there's no way that, that Daniel could have, like even the one about Persia, um, 
the Greeks and the Persians and what would happen, what would happen in the next, you know, 100, 150 years, it, it was so accurate. It was so right on. That's why people think he backdated it. So here's one thing I want to talk to, and this is um, just one part of this verse which uh, I think is important to, to, to dwell on. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. So key marker four. This is serious stuff, okay? Um, let's just consider Daniel for a second. Daniel was a man who I'd say had probably seen it all. His country was destroyed. His family, friends, and countrymen butchered. He had been kidnapped and taken to a foreign land. I think most people think he was turned into a eunuch. Um, his peers would lose their jobs and, head, and their heads for poor performance. Um, it was interesting. I was reading this morning. I was reading the book of Ezra. In the book of Ezra, you know, this is the, you know, this understand kind of the, the era he lives in. Um, in the book of Ezra, uh, Zerubbabel goes back to build the temple. And when he's there, they had left some people in charge. Uh, they're, they're called Assyrians in the Bible. And the Persians had given him uh, resources and had, had let him go. And then Darius had died and Artaxerxes was in charge. And so these guys are like, who are you? You know, we've been running this place here. And now all of these Jews are arriving and they're starting to rebuild the temple. So they send this note back to, um, to the king of Persia and said, hey, do you send these guys? They're saying all this crazy stuff with the implication, I think, that they were going to be able to kick them out. And so um, they do a search of the scrolls, and they find out, yeah, in fact, it is true. And so the king of Persia sends a note back and says, yep, all true. And listen, this is what I need you to do. You need to do, let them do whatever they want. You need to give them anything they want, literally anything. You're supposed to give them anything they want and then some. You're going to pay for everything they do. And if you don't, um, someone's going to go to your house. They're going to take the giant beam that holds your house up. They're going to pull it down so that your house collapses on your family. Then they're going to take the beam out, and they're going to impale you on it. Okay. All right. A little less gentler uh, time. Um, this, is the, this is the era that Daniel lived in. Okay. He was given a false accusation and a death sentence. I should say death sentences. He was sentenced to death twice. Um, he lived amidst a formal, and he lived against a government that was dominated you know, um, by demonic activity. It is considered by a lot of people even today as being sort of one of the, the ancient birthplaces of occultic practices. And um, so he, he, this, is, this is a guy who was pretty tough, okay, <laughs> had seen a lot. Yet, these visions caused him to be completely undone, okay? So if you look at the various Hebrew words, uh, because this, this, this idea of being sick, undone, you'll see that he was described as being pierced, terrified, grieved, appalled, physically ill. And I'm just going to, food for thought, you know. Do we have the same view of this stuff? Again, when we read it, I think it's important to understand the context and understand why it's there. Okay, do we have the same series? And I'm not saying that we all, you know, everything in balance, right? But this, you know, you need to understand what these books are trying to say, what they, what they mean. And, you know, there is a time for us to have a serious and sober view of things. And I'll just say that while the scriptures clearly are very, very, very clear that it ends well, right? That we have a victorious king, he's coming back, that, that there, you know, we have an eternal hope, that hope is for sh certain, that the journey is not depicted to be painless, bloodless, or victimless. 
quite the opposite. Okay, so this is talking a little bit about Daniel. If you want to go to the, the next marker, um, you know, and one thing I just see, you know, we've, we've talked a lot, and I think we've, we, we, we tend to put Daniel on a pedestal, which is appropriate for sure. I mean, but we assume he was this majestic figure, you know, that he was just a little, I mean, I think it's easy to fall into this trap, just a little bit better than everybody else, you know. He was the high school quarterback, you know, the toughest kid. Um, and I wonder, you know, this, this, is all, this, this, this seems too simple to me. Um, I think more, perhaps, perhaps, right, I'm just going to throw this out to you, a more accurate description is that he was really a humble man and that he was truly poor in spirit. I think his genius was his, you know, that he was very self-aware. Okay, he was very self-aware. We go back and we say, this is where he lived. He understood where he lived, that his life, he looks at somebody the wrong way. He's a dead man, Right? He lived in an air. He lived. In, he's surrounded. So we have him. You know, a lot of times, you know, you got him in there in his fancy bathrobe. You know, with the long flowing hair. You know, you know. Oh, this. He, he. I think really, uh, probably, if you really, really, really think about it, I think his 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 strength was that he understood how much he depended on God. That he was really self-aware. He really understood kind of who he was, and that when he was confident and bold, he was only in the strength of the Lord. Can you imagine what his life was like? Can you imagine? I'm going to just say I think he was a fasted lifestyle pioneer. Um, this is a term we use, to, is, you know, if you read the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, theirs is the kingdom of God. This idea that, that we succeed in God's kingdom by going low. You know, it's kind of the crazy upside-down world of God's, God's kingdom. But, you know, did you ever, you know, have you ever asked yourself, why did he pray three times a day? Maybe he needed to, <laughs> you, know? Maybe, you know. Maybe it wasn't about this. I gotta, you know, because I mean, think about it. I'm gonna, you know, there's other religions which are very rote and it's very disciplined. Um, maybe it was that's what he needed to do. Maybe he just needed to be that close to God. Maybe he needed advice. Like, I'm gonna have a meeting this afternoon. With, and anybody can relate to this. I'm gonna have a meeting this afternoon with five people, three of which want to kill me, literally. Um, two of which hate my guts, and I have to kind of overcome this, you know. Um, they're going to oppose anything I do. What do I do? Okay, and I've got this guy over here, which I have to deal with. I mean, th- th- think about it. A day in the life of Daniel, he probably needed a lot of, of firsthand uh, knowledge and advice, a lot of discernment. And maybe it was why he did so well and why he has emerged and why God loved him so much was that, his, that his, he understood his weakness. He understood how his strength really was the Lord. Okay, so this is more consistent view with, the New, T- New Testament covenant, and, what, and I think really does explain my personal experience. I'm going to put some of my own personal stuff in here now is that I feel, I never feel God so close as when I'm like down and out. You know, that just when that point where you're, you're just like, I can't do it anymore. And you feel like quitting and you just say, no, no, I'm not, I- I'm I'm just going to try. That's, that's where God meets us. That's where I mean. That's, that's where he's like, yes, now I can use you. Now I can use you. It's his strength, not ours. And so when we look at Daniel, I think when we put him, and we should, right? There's a lot to learn from this guy. Consider, just really kind of consider this. Don't gloss over it. Don't focus on all the things he did. 
try to understand the context of where he did them and how he did them. And, and understand that it's God's strength. And when, we see, when you see how much, you know, where, where God says you're so esteemed, why do you think he said that? Because you've been doing a good job. You think that's what it was? Or God was saying, because I see your heart. I see your heart. And in this land where everybody's trying hard to assimilate away from me and get away from me and bend into this culture which is sensual and wealthy, sound familiar? And, and rich and has lots of short-term immediate gratification. In the midst of this, you have, have laid your life in front of me and said, I can't do anything apart from you. Teach me. I think that's why God esteemed him so much. Okay. How are we doing for time? We good? This one is, so I'm, this might be a complete disaster, but I'm going to try it anyways. Um, uh, chapter 9, and this is the one Kathy was like, you can't, you got to cover chapter 9, you got to cover chapter 9. Um, it's the 70 weeks prophecy, which is, um, is, uh, is, is, is a big deal, okay? But it's almost impossible to do in, in uh, this short of time. But we're going to give it a shot, and, and I'm going um, to just take four verses of it. Okay, so, okay, by now Daniel's in his 80s. Okay, interesting that he got his, uh, kind of a, in some ways considered to be his most profound visitation and revelation from God when he was in his 80s. So we can all take that to heart, right? Um, and he understood that 70 years was up. I'm not going to read it, but that reference to the 70 years is in Jeremiah 29. Okay, interestingly, Daniel was not a priest or even guilty. You know, so in, back in those days, right, the priest, the priest was the one that's supposed to intercede for the people. Daniel wasn't a priest, but he interceded nonetheless. Um, he fasts, he pours his heart out to God, and he confesses the sins of his people. I mean, the prayer itself is interesting to break down. It's a great prayer. It's kind of like, the, you know, in some ways, not as profound as the Our Father, but it shows you good, you know, good structural way to think about how to present our appeal to God. And he wants the people to go back to the beautiful land. Okay, he's 80 years old. He hasn't forgotten. He's been there since he's 15. He's still pressing into the to the promise. Okay, almost immediately Gabriel visits him, and gives him, I'm saying, the summary of the rest of history in four verses. It's it's unbelievable, actually. Um, there's four verses where Gabriel, you know, it's almost like you have to go one word at a time. Um, that this is the whole history of the world. Now, there are lots of parallel verses that support and add to the prophecy, Matthew, Romans, Isaiah, Zechariah, 2 Thessalonians, New Annual Testament, Ezekiel, and, of course, Revelation. But this is, this is just remarkable for the brevity and comprehensiveness of it. So I'm going to read it to you. Then I'm going to go through and tell you what I think some of those things mean. Again, I'm challenging you. You, you know, don't, 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 don't buy my quick little Reader Digest version of this. Go look at it yourself. But, again, this isn't... This isn't something that is, um, you know, you have to be in a seminary to try to figure out. It's not. Okay, and if the angel Gabriel comes and gives us the history of the world in four verses, it's probably worth paying attention to. Right. All right. Seventy weeks. So case, uh, weeks in, in Old Testament, just one quick thing. A week could be seven days or seven years. Okay, in this case, it's widely believed to be years. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, 
to bring an everlasting righteousness to seal both the vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be a war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offerings. And on the wings of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. All right. <laughs> okay. So, 70 weeks. That is uh, 490 years. Um, going forward, your holy city to finish the transgression, that means that sin is fully grown. And to bring um, in everlasting righteousness, that would refer to judgment. To seal both vision and profit, that's to wrap, things, wrap all things up, and to anoint the most holy place. That would be an eternal kingdom. Um, know, therefore, the understanding from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one. Who do you think that is? That's Jesus. There shall be seven weeks. It's 49 years to return and rebuild. This is all historically consistent. Then for 62 weeks, another 434 years, um, it, shall, it shall be in place. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off. So the anointed one gets cut off. That's another term for, for killed. Again, in this phrase, you see both the arrival of Jesus as well as his death. Ponder that. And, and, and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. This is the Roman destruction of the temple and the diaspora. The Jews are spread all over the world. And then this kind of goes, um, you know, you're covering a lot of ground. There's a, there's a principle here, which I'll cover in a minute, which kind of helps make this make sense. And there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. This will, this will not be pleasant. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. That's a seven-year um, term. The Antichrist, again, this is consistent with the New Testament, creates a global order with a seven-year agreement. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to the sacrifice. So at three and a half years in, again, consistent with the book of Revelation, um, he shall reveal who he is, and the temple sacrifices shall end. And on the wing of the abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. He is destroyed in the end. The end. Okay. All right. Four verses. You had four verses of this book, which... Uh, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm not trying to be facetious, but I'm, I could debate you on any of those things. It's all there, okay? It's all there. There's a lot of, um, um, you know, it's, it's a meaningful book, okay? You had the angel Gabriel, one who stands in the presence of the Lord, come and give this, this, uh, this interpretation to us. It's, it's significant. If you tied it all together, it would look something like this. This is a chart I took from, um, from IHOP. But you, know, it, you don't want to spend all your time studying the end times, right? I mean, that's imbalanced. But you don't want to spend no time, okay? And when you do study it, to the extent that you love the Lord and you love the scriptures, one of the, th one of the, th one of the things about it is you will see how, how non-random it is. <laughs> You'll see how closely it connects. It really does. It's all connected. And if you start to look at, you know, this is a great chart because it has all the different, um, you know, it's got Thessalonians and it's got the books of Revelation and it's got the Daniel prophecies, a couple, one from verse 12. It shows tribulation. 
you'll see that, this, that God's plans um, for the end of the age are not random. Um, they're fairly well laid out. There's some really pretty significant um, signs and symbols that we should be you know, aware of. So just the last marker, again, not to sound like a broken record, but um, everything hinges on Jerusalem. So one of the things about this, you say, well, you, you talked about 483 years, you know, then it just stopped. And a couple thousand years ago, it j- did just stop. So one of the principles, I believe this, again, this is my opinion, I think a lot of other people believe it, you can search it out yourself, is that um, these end-time prophecies are paused when, when three things are not happening. And they are, or, or another way of saying it, is they're in motion when three things are happening. Israel is in the land, the Jews control Jerusalem, the city of the king, and the, sem- the temple sacrifices are taking place. This is why the return of Israel to the land in, in the 40s was such a big deal. Okay? And then, in uh, I think it was the 67 war, when they, when they took over Jerusalem, again, another big year. So, um, based on this principle, we're at year 483, and um, when this would click on, you'd have seven years, right? Again, going right to sort of the book of Revelation prophecies about the seven-year period. So everything's on pause, and when the third thing happens, um, the clock starts ticking. Again, if you're following me, if you understand what I'm saying, again, search it out on your own. Look for it yourself. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there as, you know, it's, you, know you, 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 can, you can do this, okay? You, can, you don't have to have a seminary degree. You, you can look at this and understand this. Um, the first two are in place. Okay, the Israel's in the land. The Jews control Jerusalem. Again, you ever wonder why they make so much of a big deal about Jerusalem? Who's going to control it? I mean, just take note. Um, and I've visited these people, and there is a group. If you go to Jerusalem and you go to the Wailing Wall, you can walk in and you can meet a really sweet uh, family, bunch of families that live there. Um, that are raising money to get the right kinds of um, um, temple instruments. They raise, so you can go to www.templeinstitute.org and you can donate money to these people. And their mission and vision is to restore the temple. Okay. Right? So I, they're really nice. I mean, and they, you've heard this whole thing with the red heifer. I'm not going to get into all that, but there is this stuff is happening. Okay. This stuff is happening. And so this idea that, that these three things, again, if you're going to read the Bible and understand the markers, the book of Revelation is the only book that tells you you get a blessing for reading it. Right? And I think there's a reason for that. Just understand. Understand. Take note. All right. So wrapping up. Kind of overwhelming. So, um, What now? Um, I'm just going to leave you with a couple of... Uh, of final points. First, Daniel is essential reading. If you care about God's plans for the future, you should read it. Right? You should read it. You should understand it. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, um, but it's not impossible. If you care about what God says about what's going to happen in human history, big existential stuff, we should have, you know, we got the stuff right in our face, but um, we should all understand that we are part of an eternal kingdom, that there is a grand plan um, and then if you want to understand what God has said about that grand plan in his holy, holy scriptures, you should read the book of Daniel. Um, 
Our global history is, is steadily, you know, if you believe this, is steadily moving toward an international conflict between good and evil. Take a look around you. Right? I mean, who would have thought? I remember, uh, you know, I was working in the financial industry in the, um, in the 90s where, you know, it was the bubble economy, right? And even then, I mean, we were poor, but just the money and everything, I was like, this is so weird. This can't be sustainable, right? You know, back then it was, you know, what stock you're going to buy and what kind of sports car you want. And, you know, it was like everything was all about money and wealth and nobody paid attention to anything going on. It was the middle of the Cold War. The Russians were down and out. Nobody had heard of Islamic Jihad, this or that. There was no terrorism. Everything was great. And I always thought to myself, like, wow, this is pretty, you know. I remember when we were going, I was a new Christian. And it's like, people, like, it's all about church growth. You've got to entertain them. You've got to, you know, you know, we need light shows and, you know, parking spots and, you know, good coffee. And, you know, nothing wrong with any of those things, right? Especially, especially light shows. Um, but it, but it, there was, I remember thinking, wow, this is, um, this is, pretty sweet. I mean, who would, who would check out of this? I mean, when we're, we're talking, so people started to kind of bend the book around, you know, and, and push the faith into like, you know, it's prosperity and it's this and it's that. And um, that's, you know, that was a blip in time. Think about that now. Think about that now. You know, I travel a lot, so I'm lucky to see other parts of the world. You know, I've been in places that have been so polluted I couldn't breathe. Right? Who, who was talking about global warming then or pollution or any of these things, right? Every time I get on a plane, um, you know, I, 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 I start getting text messages from my mother. Tell me when you land. Stay away from strangers. <laughs> you know, you know I, and I've, I was in Tokyo during an earthquake. Um, you know, the earth groans. It's, it's so... Um, you know, understand the times and the seasons we live in. Okay? We have a pretty sweet gig here in this country. I will tell you that. The amount of blessing that the Lord has poured out on the United States of America is mind-boggling. Our, our wealth and how he has blessed us and prospered us um, is amazing. He clearly, you know, his, his abundance here is, is amazing. And hopefully we can, you know, continue to do our part to have the nation turn its face toward him, which is a lot of what we do here. But, um, you know, it's one-third of the world which isn't having quite as much fun. Right, when we say not having quite as much fun, I mean no fun at all. Next point, this doesn't happen apart from the Jews. They cannot be replaced. Love them, hate them, dislike them, whatever. They are part of the equation. You cannot replace Israel. You cannot replace the Jews. You literally have to divorce yourself from probably a third of scripture to do that. can happen. Um, some unprecedentedly bad stuff is going to happen. You know, whether in our lifetime or our kids' lifetimes or our grandkids' lifetime, who knows, right? But to pretend that it's not at some point in time is delusion. And it's very clear. Um, but God is in control. God is in control. Right? So that's what we need to grasp hold of. God is preparing us. I think that's why the book of Revelation provides a blessing. It gives you the understanding, I think, in, uh, of what's going on so that you're not surprised. Because knowing the times and the seasons in advance is great wisdom. 
Because I think it's going to be really hard to keep your wits in the midst of it. So for all of you that are offended by this message, if any of you are, I don't know. Um, um, if you never heard this and then all of a sudden some of this stuff is going on, and you're like, what's going on? I mean, this, this is one of the great blasphemies is in the book of Revelation. It, it depicts it in a way that when people see Jesus, they will think it's the, the, they will think it's the, the, the devil and vice versa. They won't understand who he is because he comes, he doesn't come, um, you know, in a, in a bathrobe with long blonde hair, you know, with a lamb under each arm. Um, he comes in a robe drenched in blood um, with a sword and a holy zeal uh, for, for justice, which, you know, will offend many, 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 many people. So when you, when you look at these, these uh, parts of the Bible and you understand them, in a way, I think it's to kind of so you understand. Okay, God is in control. It's kind of like they said Aslan. Is he a safe lion? No, <laughs> but he's a good lion. Okay, our God is powerful and majestic. I mean, in the book of Daniel, you know, even the ark, you know, Daniel's talking to Gabriel and he keeps passing out. <laughs> he just keeps falling down. And they have to keep kind of, they have to keep strengthening so he can listen. Again, remember, Daniel, pretty, pretty cool guy, right? There's a level of intensity and power and spiritual vigor of the, the, of the real spiritual world all around us, which I don't think we have even a glimmer of. And you know what? God has us in a place where we're in our place, right? But it doesn't mean we don't study and understand and try to prepare ourselves for the day that comes when we have to do something different, where things aren't as good, where, you know, maybe bad stuff is happening because someone's going to have to keep their head. And I'll tell you this, somebody will. If you don't, God is going to have his kingdom. God is going to wrap up his plans. God is going to have the people that serve him do what it is that he wants them to do. There is no more certain statement that has ever been uttered than that. And you can be part of it or not. It's an invitation. And the last thing is, is you know, just to kind of refer back to the, Daniel is definitely a role model, but, you know, his secret might be more a fasted lifestyle and a reliance on prayer. And I think it's, um, I think we do him as a service and don't truly understand, I think, the heart and the ways of God. When we put him on a pedestal just because of the things he's done, just because he's, you know, he has lots of achievements, because in the grand scheme of things, I think what God's looking for is a humble and contrite heart. You know, and you become humble and contrite before God and you get to know him by spending time with him. And you become used by God by you know, proclaiming his words out into the air. <laughs> Seems strange. You pray back the words he gives us. So that's it. Hopefully I have That was awesome. Wow. We need that, don't we? We need just to hear a word preached like that. You know, I was thinking about just that phrase in the Gospels of Jesus where he said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. I can't help but think, you know, some of that is kind of playing out in our generation and our time where we're not giving ourselves to growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Um, Jesus said that all scripture testifies about himself. 
Unfortunately, in Jesus' days, the Pharisees were looking and they were searching the scripture for eternal life. And Jesus accused them of being not only aware, educated about the scripture, but also the spirit. We have a tremendous resource in the word of God that I think largely, maybe not for most of us, um, we neglect. And I can't help but think that some of the knowledge we're going to need in the word is going to come in these perilous times that even are spoken here through the, uh, in the book of Daniel and other places. You know, I've always um, been intrigued by community in the New Testament when the Bible touches upon community and even upon the Word of God. It's always, it seems to be, you probably find some differences here and there, but it always seems to be in the context of perilous times. You know, like, in other words, the Bible encourages us to be a community, to not be isolated from one another, but be brother and sister, so to speak, in context to the times that we're living in. The Bible also encourages us to grow in the knowledge of the Lord through the studying of the Word of God uh, in context to perilous times, because these things are going to be a lifeline to us, you know. I, I can't help but think, you know, just how many Christians are going to be um, weak in faith just because of their lack of knowledge when certain things start to play out. And if you're reading books like Daniel, if you're, if you're reading Revelation, you're not ignoring those things. Because, you know, we often ignore things that are hard to understand, hard to wrap our mind, if we don't get all the... But there's so many resources, guys, um, that explains things in these particular books. And I just want to encourage us to not just be... Um, that charismatic church. Because we, you know, we're, we're deemed as, as charismatics. I have no problem with that title. I speak in tongues. Yep, I know. My wife preaches. Yep, I know. It would be ludicrous if I didn't let my wife preach. Have you ever heard her? Oh my goodness. Hello. Um, and, and, and for instance, that's a clear example that we can take scripture out of context if we truly don't know what Paul was addressing in that scripture. And it all has to do with how knowledgeable, how we're growing. You know, I, I, I gotta just, I'll do a guilty confession, then we'll close. Um, you know, we, got a, we, we, we have everyday um, prayer sets that go on at the house of prayer. If you're a little confused about what that is, simply just young people, old people gathering together with some music, the word, and just praying for the city, praying for our families, praying for our churches, and, 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 and the likes praying for revival, you know, all those things. Um, and so I, I'm just, I, I have to pinch myself because we, we get a chance to live this out as a community, not just talk about it, not just, you know, you know hear about it in the word, but we also have a way that we get to live it out. Um, but with that being said, you know, we have a little bit of a break to January 9th. And, you know, I'm just like anybody else, a guilty confessions of a pastor. I want to unplug, you know, I just want to, I want to unplug from, uh, you know, after answering emails, text messages, I even want to unplug the Word of God. I just want to, whoop, I just, like, can we just watch Rocky reruns? You know, can we, that was something that happened over the Thanksgiving season. But we have, a, we have, we, have, we do unplug, don't we, sometimes? And sometimes, you know, things pertaining to God, like growing in His Word, we can, we can unplug from, we can unplug from very easily. Am, am I, am I alone? I don't think I am. But, you know, luckily, if you have a wife like mine, she's always challenging. She's like, Daryl, this is not a time to unplug. You got nine days off. Get in the Word. 
I'm like, yes, honey, you're right. But, 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 but that's, that's kind of, there should never be a season, I guess what I'm trying to say, where we just unplug. We should give ourselves to the studying of the word of God, to prayer. And it doesn't just happen within the four walls of what J-Hop or Hilltop provides, but what you cultivate in your own personal life. Because Jesus has given us such a great tool in the word to be knowledgeable and to know um, things like we spoke about, spoke on today. And we're going to need it, guys, in these days. We are going to need to to really cleave and um, and get into his word. And um, just one more thing, uh, which is kind of like a life verse for me, kind of like a motto. When uh, he, Gary was talking about Daniel, you know, and trying to just kind of maybe summarize what was so genius about this guy. And he touched upon dependency, you know, his dependency in God. Um, you know, Jesus said we can do nothing apart from him. You know, um, we have a lot of disgruntled um, uh, Christians out there because we're trying to do things apart from Christ. You know, Jesus said, blessed are those who realize their need for me. And that's just not a one-time revelation. Oh, Jesus, I need you. That's a constant diet of saying, Jesus, I need you. Day in, day out. And it should never be a shameful thing to be reliant upon Christ, regardless of your pedigree, regardless of your income, regardless of your education. We all need him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, I pray, God, that in our community, Lord, there would be such a hunger and such a thirst for Christ. Lord, I just ask, God, that you would make us a hungry people. Lord, that you would make us a thirsty people, Lord. And as we seek and as we um, seek you, Jesus, to be filled and to, for you to quench our thirst, Lord, I ask, Lord, that that would only lead us, Lord, to an ongoing progression and dialogue with you, Jesus, that we would continually, Lord, even as Paul emptied himself of himself, even of his own pedigree and his own knowledge and his own education, Lord, and he said... I boast in nothing but Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Father, help us, Lord, to build our lives around Christ, to build our lives upon Christ. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Everybody all right? Okay, good. Well, thank you, Gary. And um, come next Sunday as we will conclude uh, with Kathy. If uh, I actually think Kathy is better than Gary. So if you like Gary. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You smile. No, they're both equally awesome. Yeah, so, but his wife, I just want to thank to those who have kicked in for this um, series. What a tremendous blessing it's been for my wife and I just to unplug um, in the month of December, uh, you know, and just kind of hear you guys speak has been a tremendous blessing. Uh, and we, but we look forward to uh, jumping back into the, the fray. Uh, listen, if you need any information on anything that's going on this week or the upcoming month, stop by the info table. Don't forget, um, next Sunday after service, we'll be doing our Next Steps class, just like 15 to 30 minutes with me after service. I know, that's some, some get excited about that. But now, if you want to find out more about the church, if you want to know who we are, about more about who we are and how to get plugged in, just encourage you to come hang out in that time. And other than that, have a blessed Sunday, all right? All right, love you guys. Bye-bye.